and they imported monks from France and, and other Western European countries, Italy, who moved to Eger, who actually had a lot of experience in winemaking. In, in Eger's history, the church played a very important role, not only culturally, but also from a winemaking point of view. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Corvinus Business Intelligence. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm on the faculty of Corvinus University School of Business. I'm joined here today by my co-host, Chris Chordash, and we are continuing our discussion with Nimrod Kovac, the proprietor of Kovac Nimrod Winery in Eger, Hungary, where we are discussing the business of wine. Nimrod, it's great to have you back, and I will ask you a classic, but I hope good question. In your work in the wine industry in Hungary, what was your biggest challenge and what is the most enjoyable part of your work? Well, the biggest challenge is to try to figure out how we can position ourselves toward the, uh, toward the Hungarian audiences and how we can at the same time appeal to international audiences trying to figure out that balance, which is, a, is an ongoing process, uh, which at the same time is one of my pleasures. You know I, I, you know, I consider myself a creative guy and, you know, it's a creative process of, uh, of moving the components, you know, uh, in a way to, to, to go forward. I mean, I give you a little story, uh, uh, maybe a little bit of digression, but um, when I uh, took over the winery um, uh, more than 10 years ago, I, uh, you know, I was involved in a wine business in US too. I owned a piece of a winery called Starry Night Winery in California. And I brought in a number of consultants to kind of see, you know, what we are doing here in Hungary, in Eger, and how we, we go uh, about it. And then uh, basically went through the process of the four Ps, product, price, promotion, place, the basis of, of marketing. Product, do we have the right products coming from a right terrorist, and we had to make some changes that. So it's a creative process, which obviously involves agriculture, which is a, not a very short-term process. It takes some years to go forward. So we kind of match the terroirs with the type of varietals, what have you. Um, a price, do we have these products priced relative to the, uh, the market? And obviously we had to look at, you know, categories of wines and see what, what other so-called competitors were priced at and how we do that and, and all this stuff. Promotion, how do we put ourselves to the world, which includes, you know, the positioning, unique selling proposition, labels, you know, all this stuff. And the fourth one, fourth P is the place. How do we, uh, how do we get it to people who we like to, to, uh, to reach in, in the best possible way? So it took a number of years, which is a, a, you know, a bit of a tedious process, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I must say I enjoyed it. And um, it took us you know, a number of years to, to get to the point where we are, where we feel that we are on the right um, uh, right track and, and, and just have to kind of, you know, make some fine refinements toward, toward, you know, accomplishing the goal, which is, you know, clearly to be a world-class winery uh, from Eger, make, a, you know, make Hungary great again, so to speak. <laughs> I know, and I know Chris has a question, but I'd like to ask one more first. You mentioned Eger and the region as well, and you mentioned that there are quite a few other wineries in the Eger region, uh, do you consider those other wineries really competitors or is it more you're working together uh, to make the region of Eger itself even more well-known in terms of wine? Uh, 
Well, actually, here again is, is, is a little bit of both. I mean, compared to the sense that they are producing wines uh, in Aga region, uh, but, but more importantly, uh, as you alluded to it, um, a wine region cannot be successful if it's only one or two wineries are successful in the given area. So it has to be a number of wineries are doing well, producing high quality wines and, and, and somehow working together to make the region uh, famous. And, and, and as a result, um, you know, uh, uh, the region continue, uh, continues to climb and, and become, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, famous. I mean, when you look at, you know, uh, uh, how Napa Valley uh, evolved out of the United States, you know, a number of people, including Robert Mondavi, for instance, is one of the, the the folks, or how Tuscany became world famous, you know, including a number of initial wineries, and now, you know, a, a number of very good quality wineries produce uh, wine. So it's really a, a, a combination of two, but I think it's better for the wineries to work together and, and jointly promote uh, the region, and within it, the individual wines, which is nice to have differences between the wineries, but the region has to have a consistent image that is to be communicated to the world. And it's interesting, um, we were talking about this in more detail in the first podcast, but the relationship between tourists coming to a region and, 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 and wine and the experiences they have. Is it harder to appeal to the international market because of these? Because Hungarians are much closer to Eger. They have probably visited the well, uh, um, no, it's just different. I mean, clearly, uh, uh, you know, for a Hungarian, you don't need to tell where Eger is uh, and what Eger is. But for an international person, you need to tell the story of Eger and, you know, just give you a little, little um, you know, uh, sample of some of the things I usually uh, say, you know, which is the true story is that, uh, you know, Eger is a wine region which had a, almost a thousand-year-old winemaking history. Because um, when Hungary became a state under St. Stephen, um, uh, you know, he established bishoprics around the country to spread the Christianity as a religion. And Eger was one of the first uh, towns which actually got a bishop. With Christianity came monks, and they imported monks from France and, and other Western European countries, Italy, who moved to Eger, like a sister Sita uh, order, who actually had a lot of experience in winemaking. So fundamentally, goes back to hundreds of hundreds of years in, in Eger's history, where the church played a very important role of not only culturally, but also from a winemaking point of view. So we have a very long history, which is why we like to to, to correlate ourselves with the French Burgundy, because there many monks from Burgundy lived in Aguerre and brought their knowledge there. So this is something which is very important for a, for a, a foreigner, the frame of reference. What is that you relate to? And then when you say Burgundy and you say the historic connection, they already puts a more positive spin on the story than you said Agribikavir, because people have no idea what Agribikavir is, right? For a Hungarian, every big of air, everybody knows that. So really, it's important to put things into context and then present it to them in a way they understand it and then hopefully like it. And uh, ultimately, the product has to be good enough after they taste it to say, yes, I like it and I want to buy it. 
this story should be written on every bottle. This is so cool. I've I've never heard it. But that's the story. That's the story of Egger. Amazing. <laughs> and that's what you know. Hungarians, for some reason, don't talk about. Another question related to uh, the wine region of Egger, Hungary, uh, which you alluded to in a prior podcast is um, the, the weather that's had there. I think you mentioned that it's not as hot as some regions and that has an impact on the type of wine that is produced. But uh, another related question I have, is the weather steady and predictable year over year in that you can plan in that respect? Or is the weather kind of fickle in a way that uh, can influence your, your longer term planning? It is fickle, and uh, anywhere in the world, including Eger, the global warming is, is, is playing a role. And in a, in a unique kind of way, the global warming is benefiting Eger. It is uh, hurting Sicily and some of the very hot areas, but it's benefiting Eger. Just to kind of give you an indication, um, every one degree of, of temperature rise moves the winemaking ability or uh, uh, the vineyard planting ability 100 kilometers north. Other words, wow. right now you can plant wines in Poland, in England, and places like that that 20, 30, 50 years ago had no culture of wine. So it's really amazing how the environment impacts the, uh, the, the wines, which is, again, if you look at the history of, of, of Eger, uh, in the old days, what I hear, like 30, 40, 50 years ago, out of 10 years, they had like four or five good years and a couple of not so good and three or, or so years of terrible years. Now, out of 10 years, we have maybe one terrible year. So it's mm -hmm. better relative for us than it is for, for folks down in, 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 a, in a warmer uh, climate. Like in Sicily, for instance, they had to move the vineyards up from the valleys up to the hillside because the, uh, the sun is so hot that it kills the vines. Hmm. Until when will you be able to plant high-quality uh, grapes? The, well, many more years still. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a slow process. You know, yes, we, we, we are still in very good shape. And, and uh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, depending on the, what's going to happen with the uh, whole global warming, I mean, three more uh, degrees of temperature rise will kill a huge part of the world's population, as you know. So it is a big problem for the world. And, and you know, somehow we all collectively have to, to figure out how we can, you know, reduce this greenhouse effect and all these things that actually uh, make the, I mean, look, look at what's happening in the, in, the, in the North and the South Pole, you know, the, uh, the ice is melting, which is rising the, uh, the, uh, the ocean and big problem. I mean, countries will be underwater. So it's a huge environmental issue, which obviously has an effect on a, on a wine business, but it has even graver effect on the uh, on the population at large luckily and, we don't and, have uh, any oceans or seas anymore <laughs> so yeah, yeah we don't uh your wines are both from uh, let's call them white grapes and from darker grapes red. or red uh and and i assume the weather 
would have an impact there, the, the temperature. Is that correct? Yeah, some, yes. Mm-hmm. Short run and, and, is not a huge problem. I mean, it's, it's you know, somewhat of a benefit to us yeah. to have better weather and, and warmer weather. But uh, this year is the, is the contrary because when you look at uh, what's happening now, you know, it's raining and everything. So we are about three weeks behind schedule in terms of the maturity of the mm-hmm. vines. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, if, if we could return to this, uh, the international markets, the markets for, for your wine outside of Hungary, we talked quite a bit about the, the U.S. market. Uh, I'm curious about other markets. Are there specific markets other than the U.S. that sure. you uh, target, Asia or yes. Yes. Uh, we, Latin we America? Have, yes, absolutely. We have, uh, you know, the U.S. is obviously a, a very important market for us, and we are doing well at it. The UK is uh, is also a very important market. You know, the the the, the British uh, wine drinkers are very sophisticated, and they drink a lot of wine. Thank God, and they like Hungarian wines. We have pretty good luck uh, in the Benelux, uh, mostly in Belgium, but in Holland as well, Scandinavia, in Denmark, and uh, and Sweden. Uh, Germany, and uh, one of our very fast-growing markets is China. And we, uh, in fact, we had some meetings uh, a couple of days ago with our distributor, and we are upping the, the, uh, the, the quantity, and they will, uh, will take more of our wines, and we were looking at styles, you know, how we can make it more attractive to the Chinese market. I mean, Chinese market is a huge uh, uh, untapped market, uh, you know, people are discovering wine in China, which is a cultural and new phenomenon for them. And they drink mostly reds, very difficult to sell white in China. They drink red wine and a label red is very important. It means virility and, uh, and it's important. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we have a pretty good international presence. Uh, uh, you know, roughly, uh, you know, um, we sell about uh, 40%, uh, 60% of our, of our wines in Hungary and 40% overseas. But that number is, is going to go up to close to a 50, 50 situation in the next couple of three years. And in terms of getting the wine to these locations, you mentioned uh, one of your distributors, how is the bureaucracy of doing that? Is it pretty straightforward or is there a lot of paperwork? Uh, how does it's that work? Complicated. Uh, the U.S. is the most complicated uh, uh, <laughs> of the markets. I mean, uh, the, 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 the physical delivery is, 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 is simple. I mean, just let me use the U.S. as an example. I mean, um, you know, we um, ask for a container. Uh, depending on the size, how many you know, bottles of wine we want to send. The container shows up in front of the winery. We pack our stuff. We have to obviously uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, customize a little bit of label for a U.S. market. But then when you go to U.S., I mean, um, uh, it shows up, you know, basically ship, you know, put it in a truck. It goes to Hamburg. From Hamburg goes to the Panama Canal and goes around and then arrives in Oakland, California. And from there, you know, put in a truck, goes through customs and duty and go, goes to a warehouse in, 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 in Sonoma. But in order for us to sell the wines, we have to have label approvals in every state. And each and every state, United States, wow. you know, represents uh, all of these individual you know, requirements, and it just really... Uh, so just to, be, just to be clear, Nimrod, if I can interrupt, 
each state of the U.S., of the 50 states where you want to sell the wine, you need a separate approval? Yes. Wow. For labels. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then if you want to sell them, uh, you know, in order for us as a foreign winery, in order for us to, uh, to sell uh, uh, direct to consumers in the United States, uh, other words, through the internet, we had to establish a U.S. Uh, winery in which we produce at least two barrels of wine every year in America. So we can call ourselves an American winery. As such, we can have license to sell directly to various states. And when you sell to various direct states, each and every state has to have a separate license for it to be able to sell it to the given state, which has to be renewed every year. I mean, it's, it's a very archaic uh, 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 process. Yeah, I, I can imagine that is probably not for you the most enjoyable part of, of, of your work. I don't have to do it myself. <laughs> and it's, a, it's a routine now. Yeah. And it's kind of a you know, humorous situation. Yeah. I mean, I remember that when, you know, when we put uh, the coat of arm on, on a label a number of years ago, uh, the, the main authorities wanted to have a separate translation of what each and every word in a code of R means, whether it any clandestine messages may be sent through this to various, you know, uh, subgroups in the United States. Okay. And it was very funny. Well, I think that explains why I, I uh, before moving uh, to Budapest, I lived in the Washington, D.C. region, which you know is yes. right on the border between Maryland and Virginia. Yes, and yes. we would find Hungarian wines sometimes in Virginia, but we would rarely find them in Maryland. And I think yes. that probably now I understand why, because maybe it was slightly easier to get the label approval uh, in, 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 in Virginia. Um, yes, but, yes, uh, it is. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, truly unfortunately, because this has really been a fascinating discussion. Um, and I greatly appreciate uh, your Nimrod uh, Kovacs, your uh, attendance here today and participation and description of your business as the proprietor of the Kovac Nimrod Winery located in Eger, Hungary. I'd definitely like to thank my co-host for today, Chris Chordash who is a student at Corvinus University School of Business, where this podcast originates, the Corvinus Business Intelligence Podcast uh, of the Budapest Investment Club of Corvinus University's School of Budapest. I'm Theodore Boone. I'm on the faculty of Corvinus University. Nimrod, again, thank you for, so much for participating today. My pleasure. And we leave you today with these words of Benjamin Franklin, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Thank you.